last week, uh, we talked about relationships, you know, being equally yoked. And um, kind of something that I really liked about what Chris talked about was the fact that you don't hitch a, a, an ox with a donkey, right? Biblically, don't, you don't hit. And, and from the perspective of a farmer, a donkey has much less power than an ox does, right? An ox is essentially like a four-wheel drive truck versus a four-cylinder Toyota Corolla. Like, it's just a totally different animal, I guess. Um, but when you put an ox with another ox, even if it's new to it, it'll learn, oh, I can do this. I can handle this. This, this yoke is not that bad, right? This job is not that. It'll buck and it'll thrash, but eventually you kind of, you walk lockstep with each other. Um, eventually we get it. And, and, and also that we should take on God's yoke because it's, it's light and it's easy. Uh, there's a great, and I wish, and now I'm thinking about it, I wish I had found it. There's a great picture I saw a long, long time ago. It's like a little cartoon. And it's, you know, it's like stick figures, basically. But it's God, just like a bald, big beard. And he's got all this, these bags, right? And this guy, and he's got like a backpack. And he turns around and he goes, wow, God, you got a lot of stuff. And he goes, me? This is your stuff. And so the idea that I've taken your yoke upon me, and it's easy, I got, but you have all my stuff. You died for all my stuff. And I think that that's a really cool, it's just obviously a silly picture, but a very cool picture. Um, so today, we're going to pick up in chapter 7, verse 8. And it says this in verses 8 and 9. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a while. Yet now, I'm happy. Not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance. For you became sorrowful, as God intended, and so we're not harmed in any way by us. So what's he talking about here? He's talking about his previous letter, right? The last letter to the Corinthians, where he said, hey, I'm not coming. Also, I'm going to call you out on a whole bunch of stuff, which is painful, right? Nobody likes to be called out on their stuff, right? If you do something wrong, we'll sweep it under the rug and hope nobody notices the pile that's under the rug. And then eventually somebody sees it and goes, hey, man, what is, what is this all about? And I hope, and I hope for your sake and also for my sake, that we have friends who will do that. Because I think it is a good friend who will call you out. I think it is a good friend who will see where you're stumbling and try and pick you up. And it might hurt, right? They might have to drag you through the mud, but it's worth it. I have never improved in my life without somebody telling me I was wrong first. And so this is what's happening here. I mean, Paul says, as though I, I don't regret it. I see that my letter hurt you, and I did regret it, but only for a while. So there's this pain, right? There's this initial hurt, this initial hit when someone says, hey, you're screwing up, and you feel that. And maybe you get defensive, and maybe you recoil a little bit, and maybe it's, it's touchy, and it hurts. But what it leads to is, I need to address that now, because now it's in the light. Somebody sees it, right? It's not just me. I'm not carrying it around by myself. Somebody saw it. And he says, yeah, now I'm happy, not because you were made sorry. I'm not happy because you were hurt. I'm not happy because, you, you know, this was a little painful for you, squirmed a bit. But because your sorrow led to repentance. What you were sorry about, what hurt you, led, for, led to your improvement. Right? You, you are now better off because I called you out. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed by us in any way. Now that's interesting. You became sorrowful as God intended. Now, I am, not, I am not necessarily the person who believes that God takes a relative's life and that was his intent. 
I'm not necessarily somebody who believes that you or your family member got cancer and that was his plan. I am, though, someone who believes that God can use all things for his good. So when it says God intended for you, the sorrow that God intended for you, I don't necessarily believe that God went, you, at this point in your life, are going to be hurt. And this is my plan. For a couple of reasons. One, we have free will. I can choose to let that sorrow eat me alive. Or, which is the goal here, I can improve from that sorrow. I can move on from that and be stronger for it. The idea of, of a scar, right? You're, where, where you were once cut and the scar formed, your skin is tougher there. You look at boxers and they have, you look at their paws. They're not even hands, they're these big paws. And their knuckles are just like the scales, right? You can't cut them because they've just been beaten, broken open and healed, broken open and healed so many times that now they're tough, right? And that's the idea is that the more we can go through, we will, we, will, we will be tougher for it, right? We'll be able to handle more, right? So this Bible says, God will trust you with little, and he can trust you with much. Um, he called them out in ways they were stumbling uh, because of their sorrow led to repentance, and God's goal is ultimately to restore us, not destroy us, which is, is an interesting thought. But he must do the latter to accomplish his goal. Right? He must break us down in order to build us up. Relationships are like this. We struggle, we fight. Hopefully, we forgive, right? And we move on. We repent. What Paul is glad for here is that they have repentance. They have repented. They have found uh, repentance through God and no harm. But why is repentance important? Why does it matter? I mean, great, you hurt me and now I've moved on. But Moving on is not the same as repenting. Moving on is not the same as improving. Why does Paul not revel in this repentance but pass it off as God's doing? Right? He could have easily been like, I did this. I was the one who called you out. I wrote that letter to you. I did this. But instead he's saying, no, this is, this is God's role. This is what God did. In chapter 10 he goes on and he says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See, what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. Paul is admonishing them for their repentance and describing what comes after repentance. Right? Once, once I have elected to improve my life, what comes after that? Earnestness, eagerness to clear myself, indignation, alarm, longing. So we, we go from all that stuff, and, and I want to break that down. Because we get to a point where we will, we will repent, and then what? There is an immediate reaction from repentance. There is something that we want to do from that point of repentance. Right? There is a, a series of emotions. If you've ever um, suffered a loss, which I'm sure most all of us have, psychologists will talk about the stages of grief. There are stages of repentance. There are things that we might not uh, think about that we go through, but, 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 but we do. Um, earnestness, a concern to make amends. Right? 
and if, if, if you know anyone or if you yourself have gone to the 12 steps, this is one of the steps. Make amends. In Matthew 18, 21 to 22, it says, And Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? He says, up to seven times. This is important. I'll pause here. This is important because seven, there's a couple things you got to know, and I'm going to try and blaze through it. Numbers in the Bible are more representative than they are literal, especially to Jews. So uh, 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 a Jew in this day and age would have known the entire uh, first four books of the Torah, right? You're, you memorize that by the time you're 12. Because then you do your uh, bar mitzvah and you recite them. And you, you've now memorized these first four books of the Torah. So um, he says seven times. Seven is, is uh, an indication of completion, as is 40. But seven, right? God created the world in seven days. There were seven deadly sins, etc., uh, etc. Et so when he says seven times, he's saying, is that enough Right? Is that my completion date or my, my completion amount? And then I can move on. And Jesus says, no. I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Which is like basically that figure eight sideways, that infinity symbol. Like just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. Which is a hard pill to swallow. Because I know from in my life, People have royally betrayed me. How do you continue to just go, it's okay? It's cool. You don't. You just don't. Which brings me back to godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. That's how Paul starts this whole list of these steps. If we live in the world and we go, yeah, 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 I got this. No, you don't. I know I don't got this. I know that if somebody betrays me like three times, I'm like, done, written off. I can't keep, I can't trust you. I can't hang out with you. I, you just keep stabbing me in the back. But the Bible says, no, no, you keep forgiving that person. And I go, how do I do that? And Jesus goes, you don't have to. Because I already did. And I'm like, well, that doesn't help me. <laughs> but it does. Because as, as we are called to live like Christ, right, we're called to act like Christ. And so Christ would have been like, well, this sucks. But instead of saying, you know what, I forgive you, try this. I'm here for you when you need me. I'm not going to hang out with you because I, I, can't, I can't trust you. You've stolen from me every time I hung out with you, right? I don't even, I've bought six wallets because of you. But I'm here when you need me. Right? If you're at your breaking point, call me. If you need a friend because everyone else has shut you down, call me. I can't forgive you. God already did. So, in that instance, when I want to punch you in the face, I got you. Which is hard. Forgiveness is one of the hardest things that we do. We usually run around and around and around making reasons why we can't forgive. Why this time is too much. 
This time, they crossed the line. I can't do it. I don't know who set that line, but they crossed it. I'm done. But when Jesus uses seven, like I said, it's more of a metaphor. He's meaning continue. How can we, or the Corinthians in this case, serve God and advance his kingdom by holding grudges? We can't. What good does a grudge do except for alienate and separate? Paul commends them towards repentance and is saying that this is the first step. Forgive. Make amends. The next is eagerness to vindicate oneself. It says uh, to, to prove that I'm not wrong. Or, rather, how I can come back from what I've done. Uh, prove, prove my innocence. In the midst of repentance, we accept that we've done wrong, and our desire is to return to a sense of innocence. And that leads us to repentance, redemption, and salvation. Which is ultimately the goal here, right? Paul is saying that if we can uh, repent and, and we can, we can uh, live in this attitude of, of forgiveness, then we can be saved. And it's not necessarily about uh, uh, an eternal salvation, because I believe your eternal salvation is locked in, right? You're, you're good. Jesus died for all. You're good. Don't worry about it. But your worldly salvation is different. If you're a jerk to everybody, you think anybody's going to want to be around you? No, not really. If all you are is guilty, at least in other people's eyes, is anybody going to want to be around you? No. But if I can prove my innocence, if I can redeem myself, I can be saved in the eyes of those around me. Donovan? Did I get anybody? Thank you. Indignation against Paul's opponents. So Paul's opponents would also be our opponents, right? Would be evil, uh, false teachers, people who hurt other people. And we should stand up against those things. Right? When we see those things, call it out. When we see those things, do something about it. I don't like, I don't like to talk about this stuff um, because I don't think there's a reason to. Uh, but I saw, so I went to the Dollar Tree the other day and there was a guy sitting outside the Dollar Tree with a dog. And he was hungry. He had a sign that said, need food. And I said, hey, man, I'm going to go in here and I gotta get some stuff. But if I come back, and there's a flame broiler right there, I was like, will you eat it? And he said, yeah. I said, is it cool? Is it just you? He goes, no, my wife's like out too. I said, great. So I went inside. I got him some waters. He had a dog, so I got a little dog biscuit, went out, got him some flame broiler, and brought it back. Right? I didn't stand and talk to him because that's not what he wanted. That's not what he needed. He needed food. This is, I tell that story not to pat myself on the back, but to tell you this is, this is where it gets interesting. I walked out of the Dollar Tree, and there's a lady standing there, and I only caught bits of what she was saying, but she was kind of preaching at him. And he's just going, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And this is, I hand him a bag of water, and she goes, see, just, just another person just said, bless you. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever, and like threw whatever I'd bought in my car, and then I went to Flame Broiler, and and I came back from Flamborough. She had left, but another lady had taken her place and was doing the same thing. But none of them were doing anything about this guy's need. He doesn't need you to preach at him. He doesn't need you to tell him how much God loves him in this moment. Fill his need, because you can, and then sit with them and ask him about his story. And then when he gives you the chance, you say, hey, you know what, man? 
I know of a God who loves you more than you know and more than you love yourself. But in, I'm not going to walk up to him and go, hey man, so I'm going to stand here for about 10 minutes, tell you all about God and how much he loves you. Then maybe I'll give you a dollar. Maybe. I'm not promising that. But we, you will have to sit here and listen to me for the next 10 minutes. Does he care? No, he's hungry. His dog loved that peanut butter biscuit. His wife was hungry. And it, what was interesting to me was these two ladies he was talking to. He was going, uh-huh, uh-huh, and being polite. And I handed them the food. And as soon as I handed him the food, he went, thank you so much. And a big smile was on his face. And I left. I didn't stay. I left. Because I filled his need. And in my mind, I wouldn't necessarily call those two women my opponents or evil or anything like that. But I have indignation against what they were doing. I said this to you guys a few weeks ago. The best definition I've ever heard of service is seeing a need, having the ability to meet it, and meeting it. These people saw a need, had the ability to meet it, I presume, but didn't. And my only question is, why? Why? And my thought is, we have so much uh, pressure to preach the gospel that we lose sight of what someone actually needs. I just needed some food. And even as I walked away, he said, God bless, which makes me think he might have some relationship with God. I don't know. But I filled that need. And because of that, I hope that he saw God in me. Alarm. That's the next step. At their passivity and what it caused. Um, if you didn't do anything to make a relationship any better, how can you complain about it when it doesn't improve? I, um, I have no patience for passive people. I have absolutely no patience for passive Just tell me. Just, just, just tell me. My boss at my last job was very passive. Sarah knows who my boss was. She's very passive. She would go, you know, it's just crazy. You know, nobody did this thing today. It's just so weird. And she'd look at me. And I'd go, Michelle, do you, do you want me to do that thing? She's like, oh my gosh, that would be so great if you would help me out in that way. And my only thought is, one, you saw it and didn't do anything about it. Which, in my mind, is you, didn't, you could have done it. Second problem is, just come out and say, hey man, can you help me with this? How hard is that? How hard is that? Hey, I need, I need assistance. Can you help me? Or, even if I'm doing something wrong, I don't like it when people go, you know, it would have been, it just would have been a little bit better if you had done it this way. Just tell me I was wrong. Just tell me you would rather me do it a different way. Just say, hey, you know what? I don't like that way. Do it this way. Cool. I'm good with that. As opposed to, mm, I mean... It worked, but just it's not the way that I would have liked it to work. I mean, you know, it's just a little weird. <laughs> I am alarmed at people's passivity, though. Not necessarily in the sense of, like, you know, this is silly, and the, the idea of, like, hey, you could have done this, or hey, you know, that thing didn't get done. But more so at the passivity and, what, and when it actually affects people. 
Because in this instance, right, Paul wrote this letter. He said to them, hey, these are areas where you're messing up. And here's how you can improve. And a lot of them didn't do anything. And so he wrote another letter saying, hey, what the heck, guys? And then he wrote this letter saying, hey, you improved on some things. Awesome. But it is a shock to your system when you go, this is broken. How can I fix it? That is a part of repentance. I, my attitude, my action, my this, my that is broken. I now need to fix it. I'm alarmed at the passivity, at the fact that it didn't do any, I didn't do anything, and now I have caused pain on myself or the people around me. The word alarm, I think, is, 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 uh, is appropriate. Because it's not just, it's not just a, a, I didn't notice your passivity. I'm alarmed at it. I'm shocked. If a fire alarm goes off right now, it is shocking. Everyone notices. I am alarmed at the passivity, and then it caused pain, and I'm alarmed at that as well. Again, in the realm of relationships, if you didn't do anything to make it better, how can you complain when it doesn't improve? Which is something that I think is, is, uh, is hard to swallow. Longing and concern. Um, in the realm of repentance, we get through all these things, eagerness, uh, earnestness, indignation, alarm, and then we go, oh, crap. This, this is the person I hurt. I'm now concerned for them. In this instance, they were concerned for Paul. Right? They were concerned for Paul, their friend. They were mad at him. They'd gone through all these steps uh, and then realized, oh, my gosh, Paul. I'm now concerned. What's happening to him? You know, Paul's life was, was a, a series of unfortunate events amidst, amidst the, the good times. But, I mean, imprisoned in jail, in a jail while an earthquake was happening, which, you know, that sucks. Um, beaten, stoned. The first, the first missionary event that Paul ever did, he had to be uh, secretly uh, uh, escaped from this city and then lowered from the walls of the city in a basket. This is the first, the first thing he did. The very first thing he did. He got up, ate some food, and then went out and preached. The people were like, wait a minute. That's the, that guy was on our team last week. Now he's on the other people's team. We should probably kill him. And then they're like, oh, hey, these people are going to kill you. We're going to sneak you out in a basket. That's normal. Totally normal. Paul's been shipwrecked. Paul was ship, shipwrecked, and he told them it was going to happen. Then was shipwrecked. Then got onto dry land, and then immediately was bitten by a poisonous snake. Like, this is Paul's life. So it is, it, is, it is okay for them to be concerned about Paul, their friend who they were mad at. But in the same instance, when we are, when we are working through this forgiveness and this repentance, we have, there is someone else on the other side of that. Family, friend, whomever, coworker, whatever it is. There's someone else on the other side of that. And we should be concerned for them. Oh my gosh, how do they feel in this instance? How should I feel? Should I talk to them? Yes, repent. Make amends. But there is a concern. And we should let that drive us. We should let that pull us into, uh, into that repentance, into that amends. And lastly, a readiness for justice done. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Chris did, rather. It's, it's hard to see injustice Rather, it's hard for me to see injustice and not see something done about it. 
You know, that guy on the street, that guy, he needed food. That's an injustice, right? I mean, I don't know his story. I don't know what led him there. I don't know why he doesn't have a home or a job. I don't know if that was his fault or what. But it's sad that he doesn't have food. I think that's an injustice. I can do something about it. You can do something about it. In the instance of your friends, your family, these, these relationships, these things that cause turmoil, that, that we need to repent from, that's an injustice. One of the most beautiful things about um, Acts 2.42 is the whole idea of this was their community. They shared, they broke bread, they gave of whatever they had. It was a really loving environment, and people wanted to join because of that. And it is sad to me, it's an injustice to me to see that not happen. Right? People being cared for. That's sad to me. But then again, as Chris pointed out a few weeks ago, there are real-life things going on all over the world that are injustices. You know, people being wrongfully imprisoned, people being beaten for something they didn't commit. I mean, you look at some people who are thrown out of countries because people don't like what they're saying. You know, that's not okay. You see people who, who are, you know, um, taken from their families. That's not okay. You know, I'm one of, one, something that, that baffles my mind is um, like sex trafficking. That blows me away. Anything that has to do with kids, it like breaks my heart. And that's an injustice. And we should do something about those injustices in the world. If you have an opportunity, I know uh, myself and like Alexia specifically, we have gone to other countries and we have been on the ground seeing these injustices be done and have the opportunity to do something about it. And it's not... It's not just about righting a wrong, but it's about creating a community. I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt, that when Alexia goes down to El Salvador, it's not about, I'm here to do a job. That's an excuse. That's the excuse to get you down the road. Once you're down there, it's about fostering relationships. And through those relationships, you get to render justice. You get to render peace. It's an incredible thing. Conrad, Jessica, can come up. It's an incredible thing to see justice happen. I was just telling a story today um, about, and this is funny because um, it was not at all what we planned. We were in uh, El Salvador, it was the last, last year, and um, it, was, it was a really cool experience because we had never had the chance to go into the public school. We've been partnering with this Christian school for a long time, and it had been really cool, and we've seen kids who were going to join the gang not join the gang and instead become a leader in their community, which is a really cool thing to see, but we never had access to the public school, which was literally like, like two houses down. Like, it was right there, and we never had access to it. I had been down two times, and I didn't even know where it was. So we got to go down. We got to go into the public school, and they told us, okay, they're letting us in, but you can't pray. You can't say Jesus' name. There's a, whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of rules. And we're like, that's fine. Like, we're in, right? That's step one. I'm not, I'm not going to ruffle feathers. I'm going to let this happen. So we get into the school, and we have the, the like, top, top, like, second level, or it was like two levels, second level back room. They, this is our classroom. We get into the school. The principal comes up to the school, or up to the classroom, rather, and riles down all the kids because the kids are all crazy and jump around stuff. And she says, she says, okay, everybody grab hands, we're going to pray. The principal said that. 
Not, not us, who, who before we had been told, you can't pray. You can't, you can't pray, you can't say Jesus' name. And not only that, we're walking around this classroom and there's like Bible verses on the walls. There's um, the teacher in that classroom walked in and said, we pray every day before class. It was this crazy moment of seeing God move in this place that we didn't think, or rather it was gonna be very difficult to have him move in. And then from that, we got to, we, 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 we taught our, our leadership classes and it was a lot of fun. And, you know, the language barrier is a little bit challenging for me because I don't speak Spanish, but um, we have translators. And it was a great time. And then before lunch, we got to just walk around the school and hang out with these kids. And Alexia and I and one other person, we ended up just taking over this class because the leader had, or the teacher had left. The teacher was just gone. We don't know where the teacher went. But there was no teacher in this classroom. So we just hung out with these kids and got to hang out with them and hear their stories. And, and then we sat and ate, ate lunch with them and we did this for two days in a row. And it was so cool to be able to bring this, this kind of mindset of you are greater than the situation you are in. And God is greater than the situation you are in and you can do something about it. And we even got to talk to kids who knew some of the kids who went to the Christian school and were like, we see them and we wanna do what they're doing. Because we got to bring down water filters because they don't have clean water down there. It's really gross. And they're getting this clean water and these kids are kind of the maintenance people of these water filters. So they go house to house and they clean the filters and they maintain the filters. And these kids in the public school said, we want to do that. It's not a matter so much as of us bringing justice. It's of us encouraging them to give justice to themselves. It's easy for us to look at the world from the other side of a box and go, I, that's sad. Or it's easy for us to look at, at a situation and go, that's dumb, I'm mad at that. It's easy for us to look at a situation and feel betrayed. But when we take a step back and realize that even though I might be mad or I might be upset or it, it might be difficult for me to grasp, I can do something about this. Paul wrote this letter to his friends. He admonished his friends, said, hey, you guys are screwing up. Here's how you can fix it. They were mad about that. They said, okay, that's dumb. I don't like Paul now. And then they took a step back, took a breather and said, wait a minute. He's right. We hear things every day that we don't like to hear. But it is up to us to take a step back and go, you know what? I can do something about that. So here's what I, I, I want to encourage you guys to do this week. And I, and, I, and I like, and we say it every week, and it kind of feels like a sitcom. All right, this week, what's the moral? But I like, I like breaking it down in weak chunks because it's easy. Right? It's a short period of time. Look out for those situations in your life this week. Those moments where you're like, gosh, I'm mad at that person they betrayed me or if it's your spouse if there's something that you're you're holding over their head and think to yourself one as corny as it is what would Jesus do and two how is this affecting me how is this hurting me because if you look at what Paul said the worldly sorrow brings death people who engulf themselves in the sorrow of the world can ultimately let them literally kill them. 
Stress is a killer. People die from stress every day. Suicide is a real problem, which, is, which comes on from stress or stressors. But instead, if we lean into God, if we repent, if we move on, then we can be saved from that death and ultimately restored. And then through us, we get the ability to save others, to love others. Amen? I'm going to pray. And then we're going to sing one more song. You guys be free to go. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, thanks so much for hard truths. Thank you for justice. Thank you for mercy. Father, I pray that this week you would open our eyes to see these areas of difficulty in our lives. Grudges that we might hold relationships that might need to be mended. And Holy Spirit, that you would guide us and give us strength and the wisdom to advance those situations, to heal those situations, to make them better. Lord, I pray that you, excuse me, your light would shine through us all this week.